Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Genesis 21, or at least starting the discussion. And when I had preached this, uh, it's not the entire chapter. Uh, We'll just be starting verses 1 to 21, and we probably won't even get uh, through verse 21. But uh, this, this message, I had taken the title back from Genesis 18, verse 14, where Sarah had laughed and said, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And the Lord responded to her and said, What? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is a really, really exciting chapter. I really enjoy this passage of scripture, and I think it will be a really great journey together as we walk through it. So is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, let's just take a moment and read the first seven verses here as we get going in our discussion. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It just makes me smile to even read that as a whole. I I love this passage. And in verses 1 to 7, I want to explore in this episode this idea that we need to trust in the plan of the Lord. This is Again, just so exciting. It's so fun to see faith come to fruition and uh, to see the amazing things that the Lord can do. We need to trust in the plan of the Lord. The first thing I want to consider is uh, what God had said. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Two different words here to talk about the ironclad nature of the word of God. It reminds me of a passage in Numbers, Numbers 23, uh, 19, I think it is. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? It's a great, great passage, uh, and of course, it you can see the tie-in here. He speaks to Sarah and to Abraham, and he gives them a very, very specific promise. And when God says that he'll do something, unlike men uh, and just mankind in general, we don't always keep our word. We do our best to do it. I'm, you know, some people purposely don't keep their word. Other people mistakenly, you know, let things slip. Things happen all the time, and we've just grown to accept that with human nature. But when God says that he's going to do something, it's ironclad. There is no changing with God because when he speaks, it it will happen. So let's just take a moment and go back to the various things that he had said 
we go back all the way to Genesis 17, verse 19, where God said, No, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Of course, this is on the heels of uh, the whole Ishmael incident, where Abraham says, No, let Ishmael stand before you. And that's when God says, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. So uh, we have that going with that discussion. Uh, Then we have Genesis 18, verse 10, where the Lord appears to him and says, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And again, in verse 14 of chapter 18, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So twice it's mentioned in that passage. So when the Lord says that he will do something, we need to trust that he will do it. He doesn't need our aid. He doesn't need our creative intervention, things that we've seen here so far in the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. He said to them plainly at this time next year, when he was giving a specific promise, God had said that he would make his very own son, his heir, Genesis 15 verse four, and that through his son, his offspring would be a number like the stars of the sky, Genesis 15, five. The problem was that Sarah didn't believe in the miraculous provision of the Lord as is seen in Genesis 16, verse 2, when Sarah said to Abraham, or to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child or children. Go into my servant that it may be I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Whatever God has said will come to pass. Now, this gets us into an issue of like, well, how long do I wait? And what has God actually said? Now, has God given us time frames on promises today? Well, no, no, he hasn't. Uh, you, you know, we, we can't set specific things. I mean, when we get to that passage in Genesis 18, they can start, you know, marking off a calendar, right? If they were, <laughs> if they had a calendar hanging on their tent wall or whatever, and they could just say, okay, there's 365 days. And he says about this time. So, you know, we don't know if he's exactly a little bit longer, a little bit less, but either way, Uh, We know that it's going to be roughly a year from now. They start marking that down and they know that Sarah is going to have a child in one year. It's hard in the church age to look at anything in the scripture with regard to the promises of God and say that anything's coming definitely, right? I mean, we don't know if if a loved one's going to get saved. Uh, We pray for that, but we don't have any specific revelation, Um, and and we just don't know. All we know is that we have principles. We have, we know that God hears the prayers of the righteous. We know, we know that he listens to their petitions. Um, we know that he is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so we take those things and we actually incorporate them into our prayers as we offer them up. But God hasn't spoken to us the way he spoke to Abraham and Sarah, God, God doesn't give us a, a definite time frame. About this time next year, you're going to have a new job. I'm going to provide a new house for you. Now, some people say that they listen to the voice of God, but again, we've talked about that in the past, and I, I don't want to you know, beat a dead horse or anything like that. The, the point is, is that revelation is closed. I mean, we're, we shouldn't be seeking out signs and wonders and dreams and visions and, and all of these things. God spoke at different ways and different times to different people through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Uh, again, that's Hebrews chapter one. We have 
the closure of canon and we have the completeness of God's revelation. I don't just mean the book of Revelation. I mean the entire Bible. We have it all now. So you have everything that you need. Second Peter chapter one, God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That is the summation of the word of God, that it is sufficient for all things. Second Peter one, verse three, I think it is, uh, that pertain unto life and godliness. So it's very, very important. So we have to be able to navigate the difference between Abraham and Sarah and some of the things that are happening with what are called the patriarchs here. And even in the time into the time of the prophets where God speaks in dreams and visions and he speaks to his prophets and, and does different things. We have to be able to say, okay, I can learn some principles from that, but I, I can't necessarily expect the same thing. Now, God had given them very, very specific uh, promises and he fills it, uh, fulfills them very specifically. What we can say is that God has given us very specific promises regarding the future and we know that God will fulfill those because God, you know, he brings his word about. If God says it, it doesn't matter if hundreds of years elapse or even a couple thousand years elapse from the time that he says something to the time that he brings it about. That's why Peter gives us, you know, that illustration in Second Peter about the Lord's timing. That's not a just... You know, some people try and say, well, therefore numbers don't mean anything. No, that's illustrative, you know, or illustrative, however you want to put the emphasis on that. That's illustrative. What that teaches us is that when we're trying to hold God to our timing and our standards, you know, we think that a life is a long time. I mean, on the one hand, we can look back and see that decades have have elapsed and say, okay, where did the time go? But on the other hand, right, eight decades in this world or nine decades, that's a long time, or we think it is, but it's nothing, nothing compared to God. You know, and God doesn't change at all. He doesn't grow old. He doesn't grow tired. There's so many things that we can say about the Lord, but those things are very important because when God speaks, if a, if a thousand years to God is as comparison, right? That, that's all that is. It's comparison. Like a thousand years uh, is like a day, and a day like a thousand years, that all that's teaching us is that God doesn't view time the same way we do. In other words, he's not given to the things that might wear on you and me over the passage of time. If I said something 20 years ago, I can just tell you this. I mean, if I said something a week ago, the chances of me remembering it at this point in my life are getting worse and worse. If I said something 20 years ago, there is virtually no chance that I'm going to remember it. But I can also say this with the utmost of confidence that if God said something 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, and it's still something that we're waiting on fulfillment, you don't need to worry about God forgetting or changing his mind or something happening because God will do exactly what he has said. He does what he says. And I would just make the application that the the only thing that's left in Bible times with regard to the you know the scriptures and prophecy that has yet been fulfilled is we're waiting on 
the great and terrible day of the Lord. There is, the Bible speaks of the day of the Lord, which is a day of wrath. Uh, that's not a general time frame. We haven't been in the day of the Lord for thousands of years. It's very specific. 70th week of Daniel, seven-year period of tribulation, what the scriptures also call the great tribulation. We are waiting on that. God has told us exactly what's going to happen. He's told us the players that are going to be involved, the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet, uh, he's going to pour out incredible judgment that is supernatural, not just a series of natural disasters and things like that. I mean, there's going to come a point during the tribulation where there will be no doubt across the entire globe that everything that is happening is coming at the hand of the Lord, and yet men will harden their hearts and curse God and shake their fists at him. We read this in Revelation. But we also know that following that, the Lord Jesus himself will return from heaven. On that, all the eschatological camps can agree. Uh, they don't necessarily agree on what happens when he returns. I believe that the scriptures lay out that he will return and rule on this earth for a literal thousand-year period, after which there will be one final uprising, which is no uprising at all, really. Uh, there's no need for an army. Uh, the Lord Jesus defeats that in one word. And then it's all done. That's followed by the great white throne. I mean, God has told us the things that will happen, and he's given us a glimpse into the, even what happens after that, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Uh, you know, he's given us a little bit of description. God has said these things, and we can go back all the way to the book of Genesis to this chapter and say, you know what? If God could say those things to Abraham and Sarah 14, 15 years before uh, or 14 years before the birth of Isaac, right? If, if God could say that to them 14 years before and then make it happen exactly as he said, why? Why Why couldn't he do any of these other things? I mean, this, this is a small thing. And of course, God didn't just know 14 years beforehand. God knew what he was going to do with Abraham and Sarah with regard to Isaac uh, before he created the earth. It's incredible. So we've looked at some of the things that he said now we see it just absolutely panning out. And, and this is incredible. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Now, this isn't a virgin birth, right? Jesus was born of a virgin, but this is a miraculous birth. Um, obviously, Sarah and Abraham are not virgins. They have been married for a long time and they have never been able to have children. The Lord is the God of the impossible. That's why he says, you know, in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> the implied answer is no. He can take somebody with an old body that has stopped reproducing well beyond childbearing years. I'm just using the term of scripture here. And he can allow her body and give her the strength and her body, the ability to, you know, bear the nutrients to the child, give her the strength to not only carry the child, but to deliver the child safely. It's incredible when you think of it from a physiological standpoint, what is happening because he is doing things on the inside. It's not just allowing her to get pregnant and to keep the child so that there's no miscarriage. It's, you know, there's a whole lot going on here and it is nothing short of miraculous. Then the text says she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. This gets back to Genesis 18 when he gives them a specific time frame. So it's not just the general promise that we saw back here where he says, no, 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 not, not Ishmael through Hagar, but actually Sarah will bear you a child. That was 14 years ago. Then in chapter 18, he says, it's going to be this time next year. 
You, you can mark my words. You can get that calendar out and you can start marking the days. Sarah bore him and they called the name of his son who was born to him Isaac. Why? Because God said, you will name him Isaac. That was Genesis 17 verse nine. So there's obedience there. There is the working of God. Uh, and again, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old because God had commanded him to do that. So there's obedience now to the word of God. Uh, and we see that here. Um, God commanded him to do that in chapter 17, verses 10 and 12. That's when Abraham and his entire household were circumcised because God said to do that. And that was the rule going forward. And then we read this and, you know, this is all putting it in perspective. Now, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now we already can piece it together because we know from previous scripture that he and his wife were 10 years apart. So Sarah's 90, Abraham is 100 when his son Isaac was born. And remember that Isaac means laughter. And so when God tells them that they're going to name their son, you know, think of it this way. God says, you're going to name your son laughter. We think of Isaac just as a proper pronoun here. You know, uh, it's a name, but the fact of the matter is it means something. You think of some of the Puritan names from the pilgrims and, and things in the early, uh, early colonial America, some of the names that were, you know, justice and things like that. And of course, some of those uh, we, we have as well, but some of the names were like entire phrases and we don't see that anymore, but you know, it would be akin to naming somebody laughter instead of saying, well, Isaac means laughter. No, like literally in our language, it would be like naming your next child laughter. Uh, it's kind of inconceivable that we would do that. And, uh, but that's exactly what they would have thought. They speak Hebrew and they would have, you know, to them, every time they say the name of their son and they're calling him, they're saying, Hey, laughter, come over here. Why? Because Sarah laughed when she heard that. And, you know, it's possible that Abraham laughed in his heart, but for sure Sarah did, which is when the Lord says, no, but you did laugh. And she's like, no, I didn't, you know, yes, you did. And then he says, you're going to call the name of your son, Isaac. You know, there's no way that Abraham and Sarah would have come up with that name on their own, except that the Lord by divine appointment said, you're going to call him this. And so of course there is that obedience. And then Sarah even says, and gives the commentary in verse six, God has made laughter for me. Yeah. Yeah, he sure did. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. I don't think there's anything embarrassing in this. Uh, you know, you and I probably would laugh if we were to receive the same type of, of promise, uh, because just out of unbelief, not out of a mockery for, for the Lord. It's just really, I, that, that's, it's unthinkable. And he, she says, everyone who hears will laugh over me. I mean, again, you think over this and how physiologically impossible this is. A woman who's 90 years old bears a child and brings him into the world safely. Just incredible. And you just can't help but chuckle. Yes, even uh, 4,000 years later, we are still getting a chuckle out of this. And, you know, I think that that's fine. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And again, you know, the overarching principle in these seven verses, we need to trust in the plan of the Lord. And part of that means that we trust his timing. Part of that means that we don't try and twist his words to mean something else that, you know, that we just want them to mean. We don't have to make an apology for God. We don't have to explain him away. We just have to trust what he has said and follow it. 
And if we find ourselves doubting, you know what we need to pray? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm, I'm, I'm going through a period of doubt, but it's not you that needs to change. I need to have more faith. Help me to believe. So we need to trust in the plan of the Lord. We'll leave it there. We'll pick it up starting in verse eight in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net. Thank you.